thing that I very quickly learned while watching these Olympic relay races is that the handing off of the baton is way more important than I realized, right? Some of you guys who run track and those types of things, you totally know this. For me, I didn't really realize this until it stood out to me while watching it this week, but I saw teams that were really supposed to win, but they lost because they botched the handoff. I saw other teams that weren't really supposed to be top contenders, but their handoffs were so smooth that it ended up putting them into a top tier. I saw other teams that bobbled the handoff a little bit, and then they had to kind of play catch up after a slow start. And so the handing off of the baton is super important. Now, I have never been a relay runner in my life, okay? But I do have a baton, okay? I've got a baton. Now, this baton... You know, it was given to me by a man named Jim Dreisbaugh. Some of you know Jim Dreisbaugh. Many of you may not. But Jim Dreisbaugh was the transitional pastor here at university before I came in as lead pastor. This is what he gave to me when he stepped out of his role and I stepped in as lead pastor. Um, and by the way, this is not like a setup for me saying, hey, I'm about to pass the baton on to somebody else. Like, I'm happy here. I, if, I'll serve here as long as the Lord calls me and keeps me here and keeps me alive, right? Uh, so we'll see what the Lord has there. But here's why I'm sharing this with you. It's because a baton is, you know, it's a reminder to me that one day, for whatever reason, whether the Lord calls me home or calls me elsewhere to serve, one day I'm going to pass this baton to someone else just like Jim passed it to me. This baton is a good reminder to me, and I hope to you, that the mission of our church neither starts nor ends with one person, at least no human being. The mission of this church starts and ends with Jesus. The baton from human being to human being is going to be passed. And when my time is over, it's not a finish line, it's a handoff. When our time concludes, the mission of the church continues. Today, we're going to look at the conclusion of Paul's time and his leadership in the book of Acts. But his leadership wasn't a finish line. It was a handoff. Because where the book of Acts concludes, the mission of the church continues. Today is sermon number 59 in our sermon series through the book of Acts. So we've been going through the book of Acts since January of 2022, right? Now we're at the end, coming into the last sermon. And as we come into this last sermon, here's how I want to walk through our passage today. Today we're going to look at uh, the remaining verses of chapter 28, verses 11 through 31. I'm going to make several teaching points along the way, maybe even bring in some side applications but what I want to do today is I want to bring it home at the end with some takeaways for us that really cause us to reflect on the big themes that have existed throughout our study on the book of Acts. I'm going to be asking you at the end to think through which theme may really hit home the most with you. So I don't want to just kind of give a talk here. I want you to ask the Lord, say, Lord, speak to me. You know, let me hear your voice. What's going to stand out to me? So when we get at the end, I'm going to ask you for a time of personal reflection, and we'll see where the Lord, uh, what the Lord does in our midst, right? So as we wrap up today with the book of Acts, here's the big idea. Here's the one thing I want you to leave here remembering and believing. Where the book of Acts concludes, the mission of the church continues. So before we get into verses 11 through 31, let's just kind of remember our context the book of Acts started out with Jesus Christ after he resurrected from the dead. He pulled his apostles together, his disciples, and he said, you're going to go out in the world. You're going to be my witnesses. 
starting here in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to fill you with power. You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So we have seen in the book of Acts, the gospel really go forward starting in Jerusalem, then make its way out to the Gentile world. The gospel has made its way out to the Gentile world, mainly through the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul that we've been studying in the second half of the book of Acts. Paul has completed three missionary journeys. He made his way back to Jerusalem, not really well received there. He ended up uh, receiving hostility, was um, imprisoned there, then transferred to Caesarea, While he was in Caesarea, he had to go through multiple hearings and trials, but the Roman governors were too afraid to make any final decisions about his case because they didn't really want to upset the Jews, but he's a Roman citizen, so they didn't want to just like kill him. They had, you know, so they were afraid to make a decision. So Paul appealed his case to Caesar in Rome. And so for the past several chapters, what we've been looking at is the way that God has been working to get Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea and now eventually on his way to Rome. On Paul's way to Rome, what have we seen? He's taken multiple boat rides. There's been multiple storms. He ended up uh, having a shipwreck that landed him on the island of Malta. There on Malta, the Lord raised up friendly natives to provide for Paul's needs and the needs of the men who were with him. The Lord also raised up Paul to provide for the spiritual needs of the people there on the island. And so now that this has happened, after ministering on Malta for a few months, Paul is going to continue now his journey to Rome. And so that's the backdrop to today's text. Let's pick up in verse 11. Verse 11 says this, After three months we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as their figureheads. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there we made a circuit and arrived in Regium. And after one day south, uh, and after one day a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. All right, so let's just pause there. So after three months on the island of Malta, Paul and his men are now getting ready to set sail again. They're ready to leave. They get on board this Alexandrian ship, um, and they start to make their, their way to places that, uh, if you're anything like me, you don't really know where all these places are, right? So for one final time, we get to put the map back on the screen, right? Here we are. You can see the island of Malta on the bottom left side of your screen there. That's where Paul and the guys are. They end up, um, you know, sailing north. They stop in Syracuse there on the, um, in a port in Sicily. They stay there for three days, and then they work their way up to Regium and Puteoli. So what's going on here? Here's really what's going on in the big picture of things. God is accomplishing his will. His will has been to get Paul to Rome, Rome being the central, most important city in the Roman Empire. If you can reach Rome, you can reach everywhere else, right? So God has been working to get Paul to Rome. He told Paul, you're not going to die. The Jews aren't going to kill you in Jerusalem. You're not going to die in Caesarea. Why? Because I want to get you to Rome. You're going to preach the gospel there in Rome just like you have everywhere else. So God has slowly but surely been working his purposes to get Paul to Rome. Continue on in verse 14. Verse 14 says, There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. All right, finally, Paul's getting there. After all these years and trials and storms, he's finally getting there. It says, And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and Three Taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. All right, so once he arrives, right, these Roman believers start to travel a distance to come and meet him where he is. They want to greet him. They want to welcome him. This 
greatly encouraged Paul's spirit. He gives thanks to the Lord. He took courage inside of himself. And isn't it true, church family, that sometimes when you feel like you've been a little bit on your own for a while, you've gone through hard times, you're in a new and unfamiliar place, man, isn't it such a blessing to meet fellow believers? It's like if you've, if you've ever had to travel for work and stay for a long period, college students, you're coming here now. Some of you are coming into a, a, a new place that you've never been before. You don't really know a lot of people. Some of you who have been deployed and had to do long stints elsewhere around the world, you know how sweet it can be when you actually meet some other believers and you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm so grateful that my church family has come my way. Um, which is just a simple, small side note of a reminder for us. Church family, we have got to be a church that opens our arms to the people of the family of God who have, in God's sovereignty, made their way into our area, right? Whether they are college students who are coming in, whether we're talking about military people who've been restationed, whatever it may be, people who are here for work or family needs, we want to be a church that welcomes them and opens our arms to them as the family of God, united through the Holy Spirit. So let's be a church for which people can give thanks to the Lord and a church in which people find encouragement. Paul was encouraged through the presence of these other believers in Rome. And um, we'll see more about that here in verse 16. Verse 16 says, when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by, him, he, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of their fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. So here we see that Paul is meeting with these Jewish leaders, and they don't have any idea of his backstory. Right? They, we, we have a lot of idea because we've spent 59 weeks studying the backstory in the book of Acts, right? So they don't know any of Paul's backstory. That's what they say in verse 21 in just a minute. But they don't know things like Paul has really offended the Jews. They've taken umbrage with him. Uh, they don't know that the Jews wanted the death penalty for him, but that the Roman governors were, you know, finding him innocent. So they don't know all that. And, and they're wondering why this man, Paul, a Roman citizen, but also a Jew came and now he's, he's what? He's in chains in front of them. So Paul tells them the story that he appealed his case to Caesar, not because he had anything against the Jews, but because the Jews had something against him. Because remember, Paul loves the Jews. He wants the Jews to uh, you know, fully know God and experience God. These are his fellow family members, right? He wants his fellow Jews to see what he calls the hope of Israel, which by the way, that's, that's Paul's reference to Christ. Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the one who has fulfilled the, the prophets, um, you know, words about the coming Messiah. They, he wants them to, to see Jesus as the Messiah. And it's precisely because of his belief in the Messiah that now he's in chains. On to verse 21. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. 
So Paul tells them what's going on, why he's there. They respond to him. They basically say, hey, look, you know, none of the, none of the other Jews have told us anything about you. They're not talking trash behind your back. They're not, you know, giving us any information. You know, we came here because we want to hear from you, Paul, what your views are on this new sect uh, of Christians or the people of the way as we've studied through the book of Acts. Now, what we've got to remember is that at this point in history, Christianity has been spreading through the world for 30 years almost. So the believers are out sharing the gospel. People are believing. Communities are starting. Churches are popping up everywhere. Some of the Jews were, you know, believing in Jesus Christ as Messiah. Many of the Jews weren't. And so, you know, there was this conflict even among the Jews that was forcing the Roman government to have to get involved because they had all these spats arising in the, the Jewish communities and the governors and the, the Roman leaders had to step in. In fact, if you remember our study in the book of Acts, remember Paul uh, meeting Aquila and Priscilla in the city of Corinth. What we actually found out about Aquila and Priscilla is they actually, they, they were from Italy. But it's very likely that the, um, that Claudius actually expelled all the Jews who were having these controversies over Jesus as Messiah, expelled them out of Italy, and so people like Aquila and Priscilla had to find their home elsewhere, which is how they ended up in Corinth, and Paul met them there, right? So this is what's going on. People everywhere were speaking against the Christian faith. It's causing quite a stir. So these Jewish leaders come to Paul, and they say, all right, we want to hear what your views are. So let's see what happens. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, And when they had uh, appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So let me just, again, make a side note that helps you maybe understand your Bible a little bit better. Here is Paul in Rome under house arrest. He's not like locked up in some, you know, dungeon or some hole in the ground or something. He's, he's on house arrest in Rome. People can come and visit him. Sometimes they can come and go in large numbers, as we're seeing here, which helps us make sense of the rest of the Bible when we start to read books like Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, which Paul wrote to those churches in those other areas while he's in prison in Rome. Well, how would he know what to write? How would he know what was going on in those churches? Probably because people were coming to visit him in Rome, saying, here's what's going on in our church. Can you advise us on this? Can you help us with that? And so he's writing back to them. So hopefully it kind of helps you get a bigger picture of how all that would have taken place. But here these Jewish leaders set a meeting with Paul. They come to him in large numbers so that he can share with them. And, and share he does, right, from morning till evening. Like nobody got out of, time, out of church in time that day to get to lunch, right? They're hanging there all day long. They heard him open what they called the law and the prophets. That is just an expression for the Jewish scriptures, right? Just like we would say, hey, we're going to open our Bible, that, you know, or we're going to look at the New Testament and the Old Testament. They say, hey, we're going to open the law and the prophets. They're going to open the Jewish scriptures. And while Paul opened it with them, he would expose to them Jesus as the promised Messiah. So as I've shared before, I just want to share it again. Like I imagine Paul getting out the Jewish scriptures, opening it up and flipping from chapter and verse, looking at different things, saying things like, hey guys, see here how Moses wrote in Genesis that the snake would bruise the heel of the Messiah, but that the Messiah would eventually crush his head. Like, let me tell you about Jesus and how that happened. See here how Moses said that the Messiah was going to come from the lineage of Abraham? 
Let me introduce you to my friend Luke who's been traveling with me. He did a really good genealogy that shows how Jesus of Nazareth came from the lineage of Abraham. Look at the, how the, the prophet Isaiah said that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Well, let me tell you about Mary. I can imagine Paul saying, look, remember how Micah prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem? Mary's got a really good birth story, right? I can imagine him saying, Isaiah the messenger said that someone was gonna come and prepare the way. Well, guess what, guys? Mary had a sister named Elizabeth, and Elizabeth had a son who grew up that people started to call John the baptizer who prepared the way for Jesus of Nazareth. See how Zechariah, the prophet, tells us that Jesus is gonna come, that the Messiah is gonna come to Jerusalem riding on a donkey? Guess how Jesus came to Jerusalem? You know, Isaiah tells us, I can imagine Paul getting the Bible out saying, Isaiah tells us that, that the Messiah is gonna be suffering, he's, he's gonna suffer, he's gonna be beaten, that by his stripes we are gonna be healed. Let me tell you what happened to Jesus before he was crucified like a criminal. See here how David says that the Messiah is not going to be abandoned to the grave? Let me tell you about what happened to Jesus after he died for three days. See here how the prophet Joel told us that the Spirit of God was going to be poured out on all flesh in the last days? Well, have you guys heard what happened at Pentecost in Jerusalem 30 years ago? Like, can't you imagine Paul sitting down and opening up the Bible with these guys going through that Bible study? Wouldn't that be an awesome Bible study I've been part of? Right? I would have, I mean, amazing, right? So I can just imagine Paul doing this, using the Old Testament to show them that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah. Well, verse 24 and 25 tell us about their responses. Here's what verse 24 says. It says that some of them were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved, right? And again, just a little side note of application. Guys, this is the way it goes when we proclaim Christ to the world. It's as simple as this. Sometimes we share the gospel and people will believe. Other times we share the gospel and people will disbelieve. And that's the way it goes. We are doing ourselves a disservice when we start to treat the gospel of Jesus Christ like a sales pitch where we're responsible for closing the deal. Right? It's not the way it is. We share the gospel. Jesus himself told us, hey, the gospel is like a seed. It gets scattered. It falls on different types of ground. Sometimes it's going to fall on hard ground. It's take no root. Other times it's going to fall on ready soil. Other times it's going to fall on different types of soils in between. And that's the way it goes when we share the gospel. So what do we do? We don't beat ourselves up when we share Christ with somebody and not all of them believe. Look, I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. If anybody like was persuasive in his preaching, it's Paul. And even some people there didn't believe, right? So we can take some pressure off of ourselves. Just tell people about Jesus then entrust their souls to Jesus. He'll do the work. Now, some people were believing Paul. Some people weren't. Look at verse 25. It says this in verse 25. And, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And now we're going to get a really long statement from Paul right here. Here's what he says. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, and here Paul is about to quote Isaiah chapter 6. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For the people's hearts has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. All right, so Paul is quoting Isaiah, 
the prophet that they would have been very familiar with. And then he says this to these group of Jewish leaders. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Now this got them so upset that they, some of them departed after this statement. It's because Paul is talking to these Jewish leaders who would have been very familiar with the words of Isaiah the prophet. They would have been very familiar with their own scriptures. And he's saying, look, your own scriptures tell you that the Lord is gonna raise up people who are gonna come back to the people of Israel and they're gonna say things like, your hearts are hard, your, your ears are deaf, your eyes are blind to the gospel. And so now God is opening it up to other groups of people whose hearts are soft, right? And so Paul is saying that God is now kind of moving on past simply appealing to the Jews. He is now getting the gospel out to the Gentiles. And of course, these Jews who would have never, some of them who would have never thought that the Gentiles could become God's people, they totally get upset. Nevertheless, Paul is faithfully preaching the scriptures, faithfully showing how they point to Christ. And that was Paul's message for the Jews in Rome. Now here's what the last two verses of the book of Acts say. It tells us about Paul. It says, verse 30, he lived there for two whole years at his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him. Catch that. Welcomed all who came to him. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So for two more years here in Rome, Paul's held in prison, but he's doing what he's always been doing. He's preaching Jesus faithfully, calling people into the kingdom of God. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. He didn't back down. In fact, his years in prison in Rome may have been the most impactful of his entire ministry. You know why? Because what did we just say that he did while he was in Rome? While he was in Rome, he would meet with people, he would hear from them, and then he would write letters back to these churches. And some of those letters end up in our Bible still today. Books like Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. You want to talk about how many people for the past 2,000 years have been impacted through words like we read in Ephesians chapter 2 that by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no man can boast. How many people have been saved, have been, have been set free from the fact that their salvation is not by their works but by the grace of God? God was using Paul's ministry in Rome, even while he was in prison, in ways that long outlasted Paul's life. He would have no idea. How many Christians have been strengthened by words that we read in the book of Philippians? Like, hey, he who began a good work in you is going to be carrying it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Maybe some of us in this room are refreshed and strengthened in our spirit to know that, you know what? Despite our failures, despite the hardships, God's love and his purpose for us will never quit. Until the day Christ returns, God is gonna be at work in us through it all. He doesn't give up on us. Believers for 2,000 years strengthened by that. Believers drawn to worship and exalt Christ through the, really through the Christocentric praises that are written in Colossians chapter one and two. What a beautiful, beautiful writings that Paul has given us about knowing Christ in the book of Colossians. My point is that, you know, we might look at Paul staying two more years in prison, like, 
When's he going to finally be able to do something? Let's not forget, God was using him all along. He was having him write the books that would eventually, the letters that would eventually become books in our Bible. So Paul's most impactful ministry may have been in his years of imprisonment. Now, metaphorically speaking, some of you may kind of feel today like you're in a little bit of a prison. You feel like you're stuck where you are. It's not where you'd prefer to be. Some of you might be like, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't prefer to be kind of stuck here in, in the greater Dayton area. I'd rather be somewhere else. Some of you might really not really like the job that you find yourself in. You just feel trapped there. Some of you are in a, maybe a little bit of a prison, so to speak, in your career. Maybe some of you, uh, moms especially, maybe some dads too, sometimes you feel a little bit trapped at home, just caring for kid after kid after kid, need after need, you know. Maybe the Lord wants to open our eyes today to say, you know what, sometimes God gives us the greatest ministry impact right in the places where we feel imprisoned. You know, listening to a sermon this past week and I was reminded um, about Martin Luther. Martin Luther translated the Bible into German while he was held in prison. Many of us have read the book Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress while he was in prison. We are recipients of that blessing. Um, most of you in this room have probably never heard of a woman named Susanna Wesley. She was a woman long ago who spent her time raising 16 children. Talk about feeling a little trapped. Two of them were John and Charles Wesley who ended up bringing gospel revival. God used them to bring gospel revival to the UK. Sometimes God gives the greatest impact out of the place where we feel imprisoned. And that's what's going on here with Paul. He's in prison. God's still using him for gospel impact. So he stays there for two years in prison, continually, faithfully sharing the gospel. Isn't it interesting how the book of Acts ends? I mean, look at the end of, of Acts, verse 31. It ends with this. Okay, uh, he welcomed all who came to him, proclaimed the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Done. I'm sitting here going, Okay, so, like, did he get to do that with Caesar? Did, how far into Rome did he get? What, what happened? We don't even know from the Bible how he died. Church history kind of gives us some insight on that. We don't know how he died. We don't know if he ever got released. We don't know if he made it to Spain like he, you know, wanted to do as he wrote about elsewhere. You know, we don't exactly know for sure what happened to the Apostle Paul. And here's what I've had to come to realize. That's totally okay. You know why? Because the book of Acts isn't ultimately about Paul. The book of Acts is about Jesus. It's about the spirit of Jesus, birthing the church of Jesus, as the disciples of Jesus proclaim the gospel of Jesus throughout the world that Jesus made. We said back at the beginning of our study, the very beginning of our study in the book of Acts, we said that Acts is a sequel to the book of Luke. Remember that all the way back in week one? Acts is a sequel to the book of Luke. Luke tells us about the life and ministry of Jesus. Acts picks up on the ministry of Jesus through his spirit, through his disciples. You know, if, um, 
If Luke tells us about Jesus' work really from the regions of Galilee, Galilee moving into Jerusalem, Acts tells us about the works of Jesus from Jerusalem out to Rome. But here's the thing. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, which means the gospel is going to get to the ends of the earth, which means this. The story of the witnesses is still being written. The gospel is going to get to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The gospel is going to get to the ends of the earth. It's going to keep going forward as it has been for 2,000 years, so it will be until every tribe, tongue, and nation is reached with the gospel. My point is that the advance of the gospel didn't end with the life of Paul. The, the witness of the, of the disciples didn't stop at the end of the book of Acts. Where the book of Acts concludes, the mission of the church continues. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the mission continues with you. The mission continues with me. The mission continues with us. So with that in mind, I want us to end with some closing takeaways. And these closing takeaways, really, they're, they're going to be drawn out of the major themes from the book of Acts. In week one, I introduced several themes to you that would be coming up, showing themselves throughout our entire study through the book of Acts. I want us to re recall these themes, draw some takeaways from these themes, and as we do, your mind will be able to reflect and remember how we've seen them in the book of Acts. But the question that I have for you today is, how does this apply to you? So as I go through these themes, I want you to be thinking right now, like, Lord, which of these themes really do you want to hit home the most with me? Okay, can we do that together? Well, I'm gonna share five takeaways. I want you to be thinking, which of these themes really, which of these takeaways needs to hit home the most with me? And then at the end, I'm just gonna ask you to like indicate to that which one's really hitting home with you the most, okay? So let's think about this together. Let's bring it home with some personal application. First takeaway is this. Church, we continue the mission by doing the work of sending, Right? We continue the mission by doing the work of sending. Jesus sent his disciples to be his witnesses in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and he is still sending his disciples to be his witnesses today. We saw how the early church sent out Paul and Barnabas, Silas, other missionary leaders. We saw how the early church sent them out on missionary teams. And this teaches us how as a church, we are to be sending missionary workers, gospel workers out, taking the gospel to new places where people can, new people can be reached. Which means for us, as we move forward, as we move forward as a church, we need to grow as, as a sending church. We need to grow as being a mission-minded church. And in order to be a mission-minded church, you know what it takes? Mission-minded people. This isn't just an organizational thing. This is like a personal thing for each of us. Every one of us in this room, when it comes to the mission of God, hear me, you are called to either be a goer or a sender, and if you're neither, you're living in disobedience. We have been given a great commission to go into the world, make disciples of all nations. We are to be goers or senders. Maybe some of us will be both. But all of us are to be a part of that. So I gotta ask you today, is the Lord going to speak to your heart and say, you know what? Maybe your heart's going to get burdened and you're going to say, I need to, be, I need to grow as being a, a more mission-minded church. I, a church member, I need to celebrate missionaries, support missionaries. I need to open my heart and consider if God is calling me to the mission field. 
Maybe some of you need to say, you know what? I need to be more celebratory when I see new church plants start up. Maybe the Lord is going to call some of you to be part of a church plant moving forward and you want to see a new area reached with the gospel. Our church right now has, I think, 17 formal partnerships with missionaries around uh, the world. We actually just brought two up on stage last Sunday, Andy and Anna Stroh, who are getting ready to be sent out to Pittsburgh. You know, we have different partnerships like that. We have others that are in the works. And I love what God is doing over the past two years to build a kind of a missional mindset and a going culture in our church. I just want him to keep on doing it, right? So for us, we've got to open our hearts and say, Lord, Is this really what you want me to take away from the book of Acts? Do I need to be more drawn to going and sending and making that a regular part of my life? Think about that. Is that one of the major takeaways the Lord has for you coming out of Acts? The next one is this. Our second takeaway is that we continue the mission by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have seen that the Holy Spirit birthed the church at Pentecost in Jerusalem. That's what we saw early on in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit came throughout the book of Acts. We've seen the Holy Spirit came and fell. The Holy Spirit moved. The Holy Spirit led. The Holy Spirit closed doors and opened doors. The Holy Spirit spoke to people. So guys, we have to recall that in our conservative Christian life, there's still a third person of the Trinity named the Holy Spirit who is a real person who wants to interact with me and you on a real level. We have no reason to be afraid of the work of the Holy Spirit. We have every reason to be eager for the work of the Holy Spirit. Because here's the thing. In our American, Western, organized culture, there are a lot of you in this room that can develop mission statements and cultural or, you know, uh, organizational values. You can probably build well-rounded organizations that are polished and nice and even efficient. But here's the thing. There's nobody in this room that can save a soul. There is nobody in this room that can open the heart of a sinner to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nobody in here who can transform a life and make it look more like Jesus. Only the Lord can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. What that means is we are absolutely dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit to have any sort of fruitful mission for the gospel. So we have the choice now as a church Are we going to get serious about desiring the work of the Holy Spirit or are we just kind of going to maybe kind of go along with polite, uh, non-risky, safe, avoiding of kind of supernatural type things, type Christianity? You can't read the book of Acts honestly and ignore that there is a Holy Spirit who works wonders. So, how do we continue the mission of the church, seeing people's lives changed and transformed through the power of the gospel? The answer is we can't do it on our own. We only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, is that what the Lord is calling you to really believe and embrace as we wrap up our study in the book of Acts? Is that the takeaway that really hits home the most with you? The mission of the church includes the work of sending. The mission of the church happens by the power of the Spirit. Third takeaway, we continue the mission by being faithful through suffering. Boy, we have seen a lot of suffering in the book of Acts. God's people zealous for him, committed to his cause, doing whatever he's called them to do. I mean, you can't look at guys like Peter and Stephen and 
Paul and Barnabas and Silas and these other guys and, and, and think like, oh, you know, how, how devoted are these? You know, these guys are fully devoted to the Lord. And yet, what do they have come their way, one after the other, trial after trial, hardship after hardship, difficulty after difficulty. Sometimes they were difficulties that came about because, specifically because people are opposed to the gospel. Sometimes they were difficulties that just had to do with nature, like storms or other ailments, like people getting sick or bitten by snakes, things like this that are just, they just happen. So listen, as we move forward as a church, the more we stand for the truth of the gospel, the more we will be opposed by the culture that is opposed to the gospel. So we have to get used to and expecting of a certain amount of suffering that's going to come our way. And then we also have to realize we live in a broken world where sickness and troubles and struggles, they're just going to happen. And part of the lesson learned from the book of Acts is, you know what? We don't turn our backs on God in the midst of our suffering. What we actually do is we start to understand that God wants to use our suffering and our weakness to make his power and his glory known. So, does this hit home with you? This is a theme through the book of Acts. Continuing to be faithful through suffering. We've talked a lot about trials and storms and prisons. Maybe the big takeaway from the book of Acts for you is that God is calling you to be faithful in suffering. Fourth takeaway, fourth theme. It has to do with God's sovereignty. We continue the mission by trusting in God's sovereignty. You know, the last point called us to be faithful in suffering. You know how we ultimately become faithful in suffering? It's by trusting in our sovereign God. That no matter what comes our way, he is working out a purpose. We've looked at the life of, of all these wonderful apostles and witnesses in the book of Acts. And they have endured such hardship. Why? Because Paul knew that God was going to get them to Rome. He was confident in the promises of his sovereign God. How could Stephen say faithful through his murder? Because he saw the Son of Man sitting at the right hand, waiting to welcome him home to heaven. All right? He knew the sovereignty of God. And let me just tell you, like, God as we've seen in Acts, is accomplishing his purpose through all things, and he is still accomplishing his purpose through all things in our lives today. He will see the gospel get to the ends of the earth. So we must be a people that learns to trust his sovereignty through every storm, through every trial, through every hardship. We remember that we have a perfect and providential God. He is always good, and he is always working things for his good purposes. So maybe the point that hits home for you today is that you need to trust God's sovereignty. What's hitting home with you? What's hitting home with you today? We continue the mission through the work of sending. Is that hitting home with you? Continuing the work through the power of the Spirit, being faithful through suffering, trusting God's sovereignty. Here's the last takeaway for us today. We continue the mission by proclaiming God's salvation. We continue the mission by proclaiming God's salvation. Guys, we don't just organize church. We don't just kind of manufacture an organization. The church exists to help people know the gospel and follow Jesus. So we proclaim the gospel. That's why we're here. Peter, Paul, they all made themselves witnesses as they proclaimed Christ to the world. And they made it clear. Like One thing we've seen all through the book of Acts is they made it clear that the salvation of God was for all mankind, like not just for the Jews. That's been a big theme in the book of Acts. 
In fact, and what do we just read? In verse 31 of Acts chapter 28, it says that Paul proclaimed and taught the Lord with all boldness and without hindrance, and it says that he did so by welcoming all who came to him. So church family, here's a takeaway for us. We have to decide, are we gonna welcome all who come to us? No matter their background, no matter their past, no matter their mistakes, no matter their political affiliation, no matter their sexuality, no matter what it is, are we, if they come wanting to know Jesus, are we going to be a church that says, hey, we're a church that will help you know him here? We don't skew the truth. We don't back down off the message. We don't cater to the culture. We actually fulfill the Great Commission. We go to all people. And then we teach them to obey everything Jesus commands. Like both can happen. No matter who comes, all should be welcome here to the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the good news for all people. God's salvation is for all mankind. In the book of Acts, what have we seen? It's not just for this exclusive group of Jews. It's for people everywhere. So likewise today, the gospel is not just for the religious, it's for the irreligious. It's not just for the people who have a strong family background. You know, it's for the people who have a terrible family background. It's not just for the people who have their lives totally cleaned up. It's for the people whose lives are totally broken. It's not just for the people who have, you know, really tried to follow God's law. It's for the people who have broken every part of God's law. And they can find forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. So we continue the mission by proclaiming God's salvation, making him known to all who will come and hear. So I want to wrap up today by saying this. Today, you have come, you have heard. You have heard the good news of Jesus, that he will save any sinner who comes to him in repentance and faith. And so for, me, for you, maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? I've, maybe I've gone to church a little bit my whole life. Maybe you've been very committed, but you've never had the point in your life where you have repented of your sin, asked the Lord to forgive those sins and believed that they were forgiven by Jesus taking the penalty for them at the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. And that after three days, God raised him from the dead, showing that he has absolute victory over sin and Satan and death. Maybe you have never had that moment where you've believed in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I am here to tell you today, the Lord will save you. The gospel is for you just as the gospel has been for me, for other people in our church, and for countless others for the past 2,000 years. So believe the gospel today if you've never done so. Receive salvation. Most of us in this room have received salvation. You have been saved. If that's you, then you're part of the mission. Right? You, you continue the mission I hope that you have seen the work of Jesus in the book of Acts. I hope that you've been inspired by people's lives like Peter and Paul. But here's the truth. The end of Paul's life wasn't the crossing of a finish line. It was the what? Handing of a baton. And now the baton has been passed on to me and to you. So church family, let's carry the baton until the day that we pass it on until the day the Lord calls us home or until the day the Lord Jesus returns. Where the book of Acts concludes, the mission of the church continues. I want us to close today with a time of reflection and response. If you guys don't mind, I would like to ask everybody here just to bow your head, close your eyes. I want to give you a moment just to reflect. I've shared with you those five themes from the book of Acts. 
The first was the theme of sending, being missions-oriented. The second was the theme of God's Spirit, really longing for the work of the Holy Spirit. The third was the theme of suffering, being faithful through it. The fourth was the theme of trusting God's sovereignty. And the fifth was the theme of salvation. And I just want to ask you today, what hits home with you? So I just want to walk through those five themes one at a time, and I just want to ask you to raise your hand if you're like, you know what, that particular theme hits home with me. So here's the first theme. Let me know if this one strikes a chord with you. If it struck a chord with you that we need to be sending people, missions-minded people, in some way, missions, church planting, sending, in some way that theme has hit home with you throughout this series, it's striking a chord with you today. Can you just raise your hand and say, you know what, the Lord's speaking to me there. Keep your hands up for just a moment. Praise the Lord. Some of you may be called to go into the mission field. Some of you may be called to church plant. Maybe for some of you, you guys can put your hands down. Maybe for some of you, it's the theme of the Holy Spirit that you know deep in your heart God is calling you to believe and to call on the power of the Holy Spirit and to live life in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just in your flesh. If the theme of the power of the Holy Spirit is resounding with you today in a special way, can you raise your hand for me? Hands up everywhere. Praise the Lord. You can put your hands down. How about for you today? It's the theme of suffering. Life is hard for you. You're in a storm. You know that the Lord's call for you is to be faithful in suffering. If that's striking a chord with you today, would you put your hands up around the room? Hands up again everywhere. Praise the Lord. How about today the theme of God's sovereignty? Trusting him despite the hardships of life, knowing that, that's, that he is trustworthy in every circumstance. And you know you need to trust him. If that's you, would you raise your hands? Again, praise God. Speak into your hearts today. And I want to say this. The last theme was the theme of salvation. There may be some of you in this room today who maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you've come to church off and on through the years. Maybe you come to church every week, but you have never had the time in your life where you have repented of your sin, received Christ as your Savior, and committed your life to him and become a Christian. Is there anybody here today who would say, you know what, God is calling me to salvation, and today I need to be saved. If that's you, would you raise your hand just high in the air so I can see it? Anybody in the room today? A couple of you guys to the back and my left. One of you in the back and the front. Praise the Lord. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you right now. And as we get ready to go into our closing song, um, if you'd like to, I just want to let you know we're going to sing at the end. And if you'd like to come and pray with someone, I'll be right down in the front of the stage right afterwards. I would love to pray with you. Bill, if I could have you come and stand in the front of the stage. Some of the others who I've asked to come and stand, if you guys would come during this closing song and just stand in the front of the stage. If the Lord is calling you to receive prayer today, we'll be here. Others of you, the Lord may be calling you just to sit in your seat and reflect. Others of you will stand and sing. However the Lord is calling you to respond, I just want to invite you to respond. Lord, we uh, commit our hearts afresh to you today. Thank you for speaking to us through the book of Acts. So many people in this room raising their hands for various things. I pray, Lord, that however you are moving in people's hearts today, that people would be ready and glad to open up their hearts and follow you, take whatever step it is that you're calling them to take in, obe in obedience. 
because they trust you and they know that you are good in every way. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to keep our church on mission, that we would be faithful to the task, carrying the baton of the saints that have gone before us, passing it on to the next generation until you return or until you call us home. Lord God, we thank you that you have made us part of your church, that you have called us into your mission. I pray, Lord, that our lives would be devoted to making you known to a world that is so desperate for you. We are yours. Thank you that you have made yourself ours. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. As Jonathan and the team lead us in singing, again, I invite you, if you need prayer, just to make your way forward, I'd love to pray with you.